bitch. Hey, how's it going? Hi. 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 Well, your hair is looking so much bigger every day. Oh, I know. For a long time, it's not really noticeable. And then you reach a point where it's just like every day, it looks longer. I feel like it's the opposite, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, every time I see it, it looks bigger. Okay, well, great. I'm glad my hair is looking bigger. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. I'm actually uh, wearing, I got a little... Oh, oh is that a... What is it? It's a little high. I thought it was a high. I just can't... The resolution is super low, so I can't see it very well, but... Oh, that's so sweet. Where'd you get those? My mom gave them to me, but Aww. she didn't really give them to me. I was like, hey, mom, do you have any earrings you want to get rid of? And she like insisted over and over again, like, you know, like you're not going to look good in these earrings. They're so dangly. And... <laughs> They're too gay for you. Little did you know, mom. She's like, you're not going to look good in them. And I'm like, mom, just give me the fucking earrings. Mom, just give me the earrings. Okay. Just give me the earrings. Don't question my fashion choices. Yeah. Don't question. I'm at my parents' right now, and I'm feeling really ready to not be at my parents' right now. I have seen this version of Michael several times before. Yep, yep. How are you doing? How are you feeling post-Malone? I mean, post, uh, <laughs> post-trans visibility day. How does it feel to be invisible again? <laughs> yeah, it's good. We were invisible for a day. It's a day where we do all our pranks. No, it's our day where we can't do pranks. Oh, right. I can finally fade into the background again. Yeah. I'm well, thank God. I gave that workshop on online community at the Trans Jews Are Here convening. And the whole time I was giving it, I was like, this is awful. This is the worst teaching I've ever done in my life. But a lot of people afterwards have told me that it was really great. So I guess I have no choice but to believe them. No choice. Yeah, they're probably right. I just started preparing for Binya and I's next class, the next Shoma Allah class, which I'm not I'm not going to announce what it is yet, even though I know you all want to know. But it's going to be really cool. And today I found what I think is going to be the sort of like image for it. Oh, which okay. I'm really excited about. I'm trying to see if there's a way for me to show it to you in here. But I feel like there's not. Wow. Okay, Zencaster, whatever. Well, it's great, so just know that. Um, Can you give me a hint about like what the colors are of the logo? No, that I don't think that would make it clear. It's very representative of the subject of the class. It's not like beautiful colors. Okay, well, if it's not a beautiful Moroccan mosaic, I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm really excited to be working on that class again. I'm continuing to take this so fruit class this hebrew scribing class that's going really well and i'm really loving it so things are going pretty well here this morning i got a re to me what was a really annoying email from the apartment company who my boyfriend and i are applying to an apartment for from them oh so we're in the final phase and a couple days ago i submitted our documents for the background and credit check and today they sent me an email that was like Hello, your background and credit check has come back. We'll be passing them along to management. Just tell me when the decision is made. Don't tell me when you're transitioning documents from one level of authority to another within your company. Like that made me more anxious, not less. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. God willing, it will just all go well. You and I have been talking about some cool future pod projects so that's exciting oh yeah some potential ideas of things to do on the show mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's another vague way of putting it 
also still secret. A lot of secrets. Lots of secrets. In today's pod. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Next week, we have a huge, super special crossover episode coming out for our regular episode. So gird your loins for that. Mm-hmm, yeah. But, you know, let's just go ahead and, and dive right into some Talmud today. I feel ready for some Talmud, Hava. Let's jump into some Talmud. <laughs> Okay. Distract me from my honey mustard malaise, please. Dear listeners, um, if you recall, last week we studied a little bit of Yoma 82A, and we talked about kosher pork, feeding a pregnant woman pork on Yom Kippur, and we ended with a real cliffhanger, which was, because there's nothing that stands in the way or supersedes the protection of life except for wait a minute should i try to guess what comes after <laughs> yes yes you i never thought of that but you should absolutely try and guess okay okay say it again okay because there's nothing that stands in the way or supersedes the protection of life except for hmm. okay there's what i think it should be if i were the <laughs> redactor and then there's what it probably is okay well first say what you think it should be basically you should be willing to let someone die in order to preserve a child's life, a baby's life, maybe something like that. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Don't hold me to that. Don't hold me to that. I I haven't thought this one through. That's an interesting choice. That's what you think it should be? Mm -hmm. Or that's what you think it is? That's what I think it should be, or something like that. Okay, and what do you think it is? I bet it's like doing Shabbat or something like that. Okay, well, are you ready to find out? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. There's nothing that supersedes the protection of life except for Avodah Zarah, Wigiloi Aryot, Ushvichat Damim. So there's nothing that supersedes the protection of life except for idol worship, forbidden sexual relations, and the shedding of blood. Okay, 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 so... <laughs> so, let me, let me, let's, let's just get a little more out on the page. Okay, 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 okay. Because okay. we're going to have one more Yoma episode after this, so we're going to get a little bit of exploration of each of them. Okay, okay, great, great. So, Avodazara Minalan. Avodazara, where, where do we get this idea from? Tanya Rabbi Eliezer Omer, im ne'emar bechol nefshecha, where do we get this teaching from? We get this teaching as it was taught in the Baraita by Rabbi Eliezer. So as it was taught in a piece of Mishnaic era material that did not appear in the Mishnah itself, Rabbi Eliezer said, if it says with all your soul, why does it say with all your might? And if it says with all your might, why does it say with all your soul? So this is referring to a piece of the daily liturgy, which we frequently refer to as the Ve'ahavta, which is sort of part of the Shema, one of the main prayers that we say in our morning prayers. And it originates from the book of Deuteronomy, from the book of Devarim in the Torah. It's actually Devarim 6, 4 through 9. In that part of our prayer, it starts off, And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, is the way it's most commonly translated. So in this Baraita, Rabbi Eliezer is saying, Why does it say all your soul if it also says all your might? Or... Why does it say all your might if it also says all your soul? So we haven't gotten to the punchline yet, which is going to explain 
why concerns of idol worship supersede the protection of life. But I'm curious to hear, Michael, if you have any ideas about why it says both soul and might. Because it flows better that way. It flows. <laughs> it's just the rule of threes. It's just the rule of threes, guys. Come on. Come on. <laughs> What's the big deal here? Don't read too much into it. They're just trying to chart, okay? This blessing is trying to chart. If you Mm want to get on the top 100, (laughs) this is what you have to do. Right. This is why all our multi-episode series come in threes. Exactly. Exactly. We've learned this lesson. (laughs) This is basic prayer construction 101, I feel like. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you what Rabbi Eliezer says. So, Rabbi Eliezer comes and says... If there is a man among you whose life is more precious to him than his property, it says with all your soul. And if there is a man among you whose property is more precious to him than his life or his body, then it says with all your might. So the word nafshecha, referring to the noun nefesh, your soul, nefesh also refers to your life. In the phrase we had earlier on this page for protection of life, pikuach nefesh, right? That word is right there, nefesh. So Reb Eliezer reads this section of the Ve'ahavta as telling us that you should be willing to value the love of God over your life or your nefesh. And incidentally, there's also a teaching here about being willing to value it over your property. But the crux, I think, of what we're getting at here is that he thinks this verse tells us, if it says, love the Lord your God with all your nefesh, nafshicha, then it means you need to love God more than your life. So my read of this is that the... Gemara here and also Reb Eliezer are generally pro-martyrdom. Okay, okay. There's some logical jumps here. There's some (laughs) logical jumps here. Okay, okay. Tell me about them. So you have to love God with all your life implies that your life is less than or equal to uh, God. (laughs) Yes. Okay, okay. Well, let's just assume less than. That that seems to be where they're going, right? Okay, that means that... Yes, you're you're allowed to be a martyr. Yes. Not only necessarily allowed, but perhaps possibly required. Perhaps required. Yes. Yes. I, I agree with that. I'm still not seeing how we get to idol worship. If the only way to save someone's life is by worshiping an idol, you can't do it. See, I do think that's somewhat right. I would rephrase it a little bit because I think they have sort of a specific set of circumstances. I think they're talking about something that has been of concern to us almost all Jews throughout all ages, which is the issue of forced conversion. Mm-hmm. And if someone essentially says, for instance, become a Christian or die, this is the dilemma that they're talking about, is whether you should value your own life or whether you should convert to save your life. Mm, okay. So seemingly, just based on this source, they would say, don't convert. Let yourself be martyred is what it seems to me that Rabbi Eliezer is saying, which is interesting. We'll talk about some more sources on martyrdom in a second. Interesting because I think a lot of times we don't really think of Judaism as having a particularly strong tradition of martyrdom. 
You know, that's something I much more associate with Christianity. I see what you're saying. I'm seeing that they're being very hardcore here based on this mm-hmm. interpretation. Mm-hmm. But my mind just automatically goes to the edge case of what if it's not your life we're talking about? It's someone else's life where mm-hmm. if someone's like, I'm going to kill your wife unless right. you convert to Christianity. Right. Right. Then then I, what would the rabbi say in that case? Yeah, I'm not sure if that changes the circumstances for them or not. You know, in Christianity, I think martyrdom is actually held up as almost like a virtue. In Catholicism, it's often a reason one can become sainted later in life. What's that called? Canonized? Yeah, being canonized. And, and that makes sense given the whole Jesus mythology. Right, the whole Jesus thing. But here, it seems like it's not like you should really make a point to go out and do this. It's sort of like if you're down to the wire, this is the decision you're supposed to make. It is sort of laying down the law, but not necessarily valorizing it in quite the same way. But there are quite a few martyrs in the Talmud. I guess so. I mean, Akiva. Mm-hmm. Akiva, one of the most notorious. The most notorious martyr out there. <laughs> the most to- notorious Talmudic martyr. I mean, everyone loves a lost cause. Everyone loves a good mm-hmm. old Bar Kokhba story, right? Right. Right. One of the reasons this is so interesting to me, and and I think to many of our listeners, is because I come from a family that was forced to convert. We converted during the expulsion from Spain around 1492, and that's a very common set of ancestry. And at the time of that sort of disaster, and at many other times throughout Jewish history, this issue of forced conversion was very on people's mind. I think especially because If you were a Jew in 1492 or during other mass forced conversions, you probably had a family member who had converted. So you needed to know halakhically how to relate to that family member. This reminds me a lot about what we're talking about in the Sabbatai episode. How do you make sense of your family in the prior generations converting to Christianity and this idea of breaking the commandments intentionally as a way of constructing the world so that there is going to be a world to come? I can see why that kind of uh, anxiety about that could be one of the things that contributes to that kind of Kabbalistic messianic movement in the 1600s. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that connection, actually, when I was putting this together. Another source that I want to bring into this conversation is Maimonides, also known as the Rambam, a medieval Jewish commentator and all-around loudmouth, big deal guy, wrote a letter on martyrdom It was probably written around 1165. And this is a time where conversions to Islam under the Al-Mohad Caliphate, that was a very big phenomena that was happening to Jews in the world. And so the reason Maimonides wrote this letter is because another rabbi had written a public letter basically saying, if you converted to Islam under the Al-Mohads, like, you're going to hell. And not only are you going to hell... Every mitzvah you do is now a sin, which is also just a very what? interesting connection to Shabbatai that I hadn't thought about. What? But like, I mean, I think every specifically Jewish mitzvah. So like if you converted and then you keep the Shabbat, that's like worse than before. Or you're culturally appropriating Shabbat. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I don't think he had that concept quite yet. So this other rabbi 
talked all this smack and Maimonides took it upon himself to write this letter. I mean, this letter is very caustic. Maimonides in it is like, whatever that fool said, if he had only stopped for a moment to think, he wouldn't have hurt all our ears with his ignorance. Oh, wow. Okay. So Maimonides takes a very strong position against this and comes to say that some situations do require unilateral sacrifice. And some are up to your discretion. And one of the factors that determines this is whether it's public or private and whether it's during a time of persecution, whatever you want to qualify that to mean, or not. Mm, Okay, persecution or not, I understand. What about this public or private idea? Public or private. So like, what if the Roman soldiers come into your home and tell you to eat ham in your house? This is also based on, there's a story where Roman soldiers compelled Rabbi Meir to eat pork, and it says that Rabbi Meir basically convincingly faked eating the pork, which is hard for me to believe. But part of Maimonides' point here is that that's a paradigmatic example of someone who performed sort of what we could massage into thinking of as Avodazara in public, right? He performed eating pork, but he didn't eat pork. You know, he didn't turn away in his heart. Okay, so if the Romans go up to you in public and say, eat the pork or we'll kill you, are you saying that uh, Maimonides is saying don't do it or it's totally cool? Well, I have to say, and I look through this letter quite a bit, and listeners, if you know better than me, please tell me, I couldn't quite pin down what Maimonides thinks is the condition under which we must unilaterally die. I think he sort of tried to marginalize that option as much as possible so that there were as few cases in which dying was the only option. I had a hard time parsing his logic to quite figure out exactly what were the situations where we should choose to die. The upshot, what I really think you should be taking from this is that he basically said it's way more complicated than that. There's issues of are you sincerely converting in your heart? Like, are you sincerely a Muslim or a Christian now? Or are you performing it to protect life, but not converting in your heart? You know, Maimonides basically just came to say like, hey, it's way more complicated than this other guy is making it sound. Okay, okay. So private public, I won't go down that rabbit hole. Right. I mean, I think part of the private public rabbit hole is, are you in your heart and in your perhaps in secret, staying a Jew or not. That's a relevant concern for Maimonides. I mean, I think there's some deeper questions here. Like, if you sincerely convert, then why would you allow yourself to be killed? If you're a different person. What person sincerely converts but then feels guilty for it? Oh, well, everyone. Well, <laughs> okay, okay, all right, all right. That was really funny to watch unfold in real time, oh, and yeah, I think yeah. you should for sure let it be on the show. All right, guilt is not logical, people, is what I've just discovered. What Jew would possibly feel guilty about their decisions? Yeah, good point. Every good one point. of us. All right, all right, okay. Logically, this situation should never arise. In practice, though, I can imagine that the situation could arise. Yes, yes. And I imagine it's much more non-binary than all that. You know, this feels like sort of spicy to say, but I imagine that there were people who originally converted to different religions out of pressure. And then once they were in there, they were like, oh, 
there's something here that speaks to me. I'm sure. I think that is a possible circumstance that occurred. So I think it's much more complicated than did you convert truly or falsely? There's like a whole spectrum of gray, which I think it's a technique that Maimonides is using here. And it's a technique that I think the rabbis often deploy when presented with these kinds of tense questions is to say, uh, well, we're just going to introduce so many options that fuck up this binary that you're going to see that there's no way we can legislate this. Well, that's very nice of the rabbis to do that. They don't seem to be doing that in the Talmud in this particular case. No, in the Talmud, I don't think they're doing that here. I think Maimonides is doing it much later for them. Okay, the rabbis are being hard asses, and they're coming down hard, and they just don't have the imagination to imagine uh, a Spanish Inquisition. Probably. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, yes. especially not the rabbis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think Maimonides is kind of a notorious hard ass. So it's interesting to see him being a little more on the lenient side here. But my personal question, just to start off this discussion, was going to be, um, how willing do you think we should be to die for our values? Whether those values be like Hashem or communism, anarchism, whatever value sometimes comes into a life or death situation. How do you navigate that in your head? Mm, that's, is that, are you posing that to me or posing that to I'm the I'm posing that to you for real, oh. for real, for true. Oh, shit. Okay, well, <laughs> I would say, uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think if I can offer what comes up for me when I think about it, it's hard for me to figure out what I would do in a situation where it was sort of like right now, make this decision. But I do feel like myself and and lots of other trans people every day sort of make the decision to put ourselves at risk for the value of our transness and our authenticity. You know, it may seem cheesy and dramatic to say, but when I first started transitioning, there were a lot of times, whether due to economic marginalization or, or immediate violence, that I really felt quite in danger of my life. I made that choice then and and I've continually made that choice to sort of be true to myself in a certain way that puts me sometimes, thank God, not very much anymore at mortal risk. I think that a lot of people are much more at that risk than myself. So to me, that's the situation where this, you know, comes up quite a lot. That's very real and tangible. I do generally think it is worth giving your life. I certainly have a lot of respect for People who have lived beautiful, short lives, and it was short as a consequence of the things that they were trying to do in their life. Another way you can think about this, right, is that if you choose not to be true to that part of yourself, you're also sacrificing your life. Sure, yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, we all sacrifice our lives on the altar of something. But yeah, you know, I think that's a good discussion on martyrdom. Listeners, I want to tell you, so next on this page of Talmud, there's a discussion of concerns of protection of life and forbidden sexual relationships. We are not going to do an episode on that section for mainly the reason that I don't feel confident that I could create an appropriately safe and considerate episode in the span of the 20 minutes we have on air to deal with all the complexities and trauma tied up in that for me and I'm sure for other people out there. So we won't be talking about that section. It's very interesting, but it's just, I think, a little too complex for us to tackle here on the pod. Next week, we'll have our special crossover episode. And then the week after that, 
we will return to talk about Shvicha Damim, the shedding of blood. The shedding of bloods, actually, oh. if you want to take it literally. Okay, great. I, I love company. <laughs> uh, listeners, thanks so much for being a part of our show. Yeah. Being a part of our audience, being part of our life. If you have any thoughts about this episode, I encourage you to at us on Twitter. I'm at Hi, how are you? And Michael is at Miss underscore figured. Or you can call or text our Talmud hotline at 401-484-1619. Send us a text or leave us a voicemail. You can also reach us by email at you at gmail.com and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cordova to get twice the episodes per month, full, bursting with bootylicious Talmudic content. That's right. I think that's all for us, you guys, and can't wait to talk to you again. Shavuot Tov. Oh, Shavuot Tov. Thank <laughs> you.